Morning. Morning. How you doing? Woo, you guys are more awake than me because I had to be here early. Two weeks, more sleep. It's good for me. Uh, and, and once again, next week, we will actually give you um, little cards that remind you of the service times the next week so you can walk out and remember. Anyway, uh, uh, Christy asked me to tell you guys that we are doing, I guess, a kids camp. It's going to be at Heartland, and they have a little promo video that she wanted me to show you, so ding. So when it gets really hot, I'm going to grab one of those things to and be all, oh, you guys will be like, oh, dear Jesus, wrong church, wrong church. Boy, tough crowd. Okay, so um, first to sixth grade, I think is what it is, first to sixth grade. Uh, I was also, I went and saw Star Trek this week. Anybody? Anybody? It was awesome, huh? J.J. Abrams. So we walked out and I saw the, it's the Land of the Lost poster. Well, fine. We'll just read the Bible. Why don't you stand on the reading of God's Word? This is John thirteen thirty-five. <clears throat> it says this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we as a people would understand uh, your love for us and how that love is then supposed to go out and touch the world around us by how we live. Uh, help us to truly be your people who live the way that you call us to live. Amen. Have a seat. So, I, I'm gonna, last week I made you guys a promise for Mother's Day. I said it was going to be a shorter message, and it wasn't. <laughs> it was actually quite long. So I'm going to try and make good on this promise this week and give you guys a shorter message. Take it while you can get it, uh, you know, because there's always hoping. That's how we go. Uh, turn to John chapter 13. If you're new, we are going, we are going through the book of John uh, verse by verse. The last time we were in John two weeks ago, we ended with uh, chapter 13 verse 17. So we're in verse 18 because that's how it kind of goes. So I went to public school. I can actually count to get to 18. So that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk more about practical friendships and what that looks like. So this is John 13, 18. We're going to basically read through the entire section, and I'm going to talk about it. Uh, 13, 18. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now, Jesus is beginning to talk about his betrayal at this point, and he talks, uh, gives a reference to an animal, a horse, getting ready to lift and kick. You know when this happens because they lift their heel before they kick. When I was younger, I worked on a farm. Uh, when I say younger, it's like 18, 19. I worked on a farm, and we would have these calves that we would bring in, and we'd have to brand them. And what you do is you bring them in this little corral. Everybody kind of holds them still. You, you put a magnet down into their first stomach because cows eat everything. And so you put a magnet there because when they eat, it goes up and comes down and up and down. So it'll hold like the barbed wire and stuff that they swallow. So it stays down in that first stomach. So you put a magnet, and then you brand them. And as you're doing this, they don't really like it. Okay, like most of us don't want to be held down like a big old hot poker shoved on your butt, so they freak out. And you notice when they're going to kick because they go like this. I have been kicked in the knee. I have seen people kicked in the stomach. Uh, I have seen a couple guys kicked where guys just don't want to be kicked. <laughs> and every time you know it's going to happen because you see it go, and everybody goes, ah, and we kind of jump back. And so that's kind of what Jesus is saying is metaphorically happening to him. He says that Satan, Judas, the Jews, they're all raising their heel to kick him. Then he says this, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of his constant refrains throughout the gospel, one of you is going to betray me. Now, the word for betray there, it actually means to place into the hands of another. 
his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, so that's John, the writer of the gospel, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What, are you, what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him, except, I would say, for maybe John. Since Judas had charged the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, again, here's John's metaphors for light and dark. What he's saying is it is dark now, referencing that darkness is in opposition to God, to Jesus, who is the light. Verse 31, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he kind of makes a summation, and this is a beautiful summation. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus kind of brings practically the gospel down to this, and Peter ignores it. So when Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? You've got to love Peter. Jesus replied, where I'm going you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And referencing, you know, Peter's death. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And actually in the Greek this becomes a little argumentative. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And the word disown that Jesus used literally means that you claim you have no association with someone. And so I also wonder if Peter, when Jesus says this to him, maybe wonders in the back of his head, well, am I the one that's going to deny? I wonder if he kind of thinks that. And in the middle of these two things about two betrayals of Jesus, he kind of gives you the heart of the gospel in this. Uh, the, the Father has sent the Son, the Father and the Son send the Spirit, the Father and the Son and the Spirit send His people into the world to love the world. Meaning, every person who calls himself a Christian is literally a full-time missionary. We tend to think as missions as over there when you go and eat that really bad food and sleep in huts and there's a whole lot of bugs. And that is true. God has a heart for missions for all people and all places upon the earth, but missions is also you. Mission happens in Santa Maria, California. It happens in Napomo and Orchid, even in Gary and Sisquoc. And it happens in San Luis Obispo and Arroyo Grande and Santa Ynez. We're all children of the King who have been dispatched into the world. Every believer is considered a missionary to the culture in which you live. And then Jesus, in other places in the gospel, says, and don't be surprised when, when you talk about God's love and you offer God's grace and people don't respond well, that they reject you and the message. Don't be surprised. Jesus says, it, I think he says, don't take this personally. If someone doesn't love God and you've been gracious to them, they're not just rejecting you. They are rejecting the Father and the Son as well, so you are in very good company. Now, you see this in Judas, who actually betrays Christ. Jesus has poured faithfully into Judas for three years. He has loved Judas, even though Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. It is not that Judas wasn't loved or sufficiently instructed. Judas was simply hard-hearted. He has been stealing money from Jesus for the past three years, and by his actions, he shows that he hates Jesus. He doesn't love him. Peter, on the other hand, you know, we are told is going to reject or deny Jesus just in a different way. Peter, he starts out very loud, but he ends up being very cowardly. He's like any dog under 15 pounds. There's just no room for a brain, right? They just go, yeah, 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 and then you walk at them, and they run away from you, 
That's, Peter's kind of like that. Uh, a teenage girl walks up to Peter and she says, you know, do you know Jesus? And, and Peter says no and he curses and he denies Christ. But Peter is different than Judas in that Judas doesn't really love Jesus, but Peter actually does. Judas never changes. Peter does change. Uh, Judas never repents. Peter does repent and he is reinstated by Jesus. And I tell you this to say this. Uh, we are not sent into the world to determine who's going to deny and who's going to love. We are simply sent with the purpose of love. That God has loved us. We are to take that love and share it with other people. In the totality of Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks about the love and grace given to you and I and our obligation, our adoption as children, and that love and grace should then be shared with the world around us. Love for people who call themselves followers of Christ is to become a public issue. We do not love in private or in secret. It's why Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we are to love one another within the family of God. And then that love is also supposed to spill out beyond us to touch the world around us. Public, we follow his example. Love spilled out to the world. I think when you ask the question, what kind of creates the lack of love that we have in our world today? I would say sin. Sin creates that. In Genesis, God creates man and woman for the purpose of oneness. They have friendship and intimacy. And as soon as sin enters the equation, they hide from God and then they hide from each other. The moment sin enters that equation, that happens. Sin isolates us from God and isolates us from other people. Sin kills life. In our own age, uh, this kind of becomes epidemic, I think, and there's almost no Christ-like biblical love in our world. C.S. Lewis, he actually distinguishes between two types of love. He calls the first one need love. And need love is, I love love you because you have done something that is beneficial for me. It's like a contractual kind of love. You're nice, so I love you. Then he says there's what's called give love, where you and I give love with no expectation or demands in return. It's not predicated on terms. It's given freely where we don't expect anything back. Now, practically, how this works out. In the last 25 years, in the United States of America and in the world at large, there's been a disintegration of what we call social networks. It's where people get together and they actually love each other. Robert Putnam, uh, who is a Harvard uh, scholar, wrote a book that details this called Bowling Alone. In the book, he talks about how nobody goes to church anymore, nobody bowls in leagues anymore, nobody goes to PTA meetings anymore. No one connects in our world unless it's in areas of sin, which I know none of you would ever be involved in. Right? Uh, in creation, you see this phrase, and God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good, until he gets to the man. We actually looked at this last week a little bit. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I mean, when God looks at the man, he says, not good. Is that because he liked women better? No. No, it's a statement about relationships. There is no fall. There is no sin. There's no disobedience. The man lives in intimacy with God, walks with him, talks with him, and the words God uses is alone and not good. We are a people who are made to be in a community with each other, with God and others. There's a thing called social capital, where you get your emotional needs met by being in friendships with other people. You have money. Money is considered your financial capital. You have information. That's considered your intellectual capital. And then you have your friendships, which is considered your social capital. If your car breaks down, who comes to pick you up? Exactly. That AAA. You know who it should be? Your friends. Your friends. Your coverage. Oh, I better call AAA because no one's going to come get me. Your friends should be the first ones that come and get you. You have a birthday party. Who's going to come eat your cake? Your friends. Family. Your friends. Invite your neighbors over. Eat your cake. Don't bake any of that nasty stuff in it. 
You know, the, in the human equation, there's a thing called social capital where we need and we love each other. Do you know in the entirety of the world, what organization has the most social capital in it? Churches. Churches have the highest social capital. In uh, Putnam's study, he actually shows that if churches have declined in the country, so has involvement in every other civic organization. Attendance has declined in the last 25 years in Protestant churches from 15 to 12 percent. That's astronomical. That's 20 percent decline in the last quarter century. 50 percent of involvement in civic organizations came out of churches. So I'll detail this for you. Social changes in America over the last 25 years. Uh, playing cards. Anybody play cards? Any card players in here? There you go. You're a dying breed. Okay. Last <laughs> last 25 years, this is down 25 percent. I mean, what, what do you do when you play cards? You get together, you get together and you cuss and you cheat and you talk to each other. Social capital, right? Uh, the number of nightclubs and taverns, they're down 40%. You know, these, these used to be like gathering places, not where people get together and sin, but they just kind of gathered and hung out. You know, today, it's kind of funny. People go and they, and they want to hang out, but they don't want to really connect. So everybody goes to these coffee shops. I, I, I don't really like coffee. Sometimes people, let's meet at Starbucks. And I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. So I go to Starbucks. I am like the only person in Starbucks that talks to somebody when I'm there. Everybody else, they, they sit in little tables with their laptops or with their books. And they're all there because they kind of want to be around other people. But they don't want to talk. If you talk to somebody in Starbucks, they call the police. Like, <laughs> you're a pervert and a freaking weirdo. Why are you talking to me? I'm here to be alone. It's, and that's, yeah, Okay. Don't talk to people in Starbucks, apparently. Um, the number of full-service restaurants is down 25%. Bars, including coffee bars and luncheonettes, is down 50%. And fast food outlets are up 100%. Yeah. People eat in their car by themselves with their fries, something down their face, order your meals through a clown. That's just not good. Uh, having a social evening with someone from your neighborhood that's out on the town, down 33%. We're going to love our neighbors, and we don't even know who they are. Attending clubs and meetings is down 58%. Family dinners are down 33%. And having friends over to your home is down 45%. And we used to have large front porches in our home and, and, large, and lots of parking. Now, today, architecturally, what is happening to our homes is that they are taking those large front porches, and they are building them into home offices and walk-in closets. And then all of a sudden we have no more parking in front of our homes because now our architecture is built to assume an isolated life where we are no longer connecting with each other. People have accepted that they're disconnected and no one is combating that. From 1992 to 1999, time spent caring for a pet was up 15%. So if you're like a, a girl, you probably got a cat. If you're a dude, you got a dog, right? That's how that works. We don't love our neighbor, but we love our pets. Time spent for personal grooming was up 57%. So, you know, you take care of your hair, you take care of your pet's hair, kind of goes together. Going to church, again, I said, is down 20%. Having friends over to your home, down 45%. Ourselves and our pets, they get all of our attention. Now, from 1980 to 1993, you know what number, America's number one participant sport was? Bowling. Okay, bowling. And, you know, in an election year, even now, more people bowl than vote. And we wonder what's wrong with the country, right? <laughs> now, bowling was up 10%. But bowling in leagues was down 40% because everybody's starting to bowl, but everybody's bowling alone. There you go. Uh, so watching movies and concerts and sporting events, these are all up. Every single one of those is up because our culture has become a culture of observers and not participants where we don't play sports. It is why I get up here every week and I tell you about our softball team because it's awesome. By the way, the guys won 29 to 25 this week, I guess in like extra inning. Woo, go dudes. Co-ed team won, but you need to do that because that's a given. 
Uh, you know, it, it, seriously, if any of you are actually interested in softball, I'll talk to Britt. He's actually the coach of both the teams, so... Seriously, we're, we're a culture now that, that watches people play sports. And we complain about how bad they are, and we switch the channel, and then we're like, they're awful, give me another beer. And we just keep doing it. And we create this and have society where people are lonely and they are alone, where we pay people to do things that friends would normally do, like AAA. And these friends, their names are Eric and Mary, and they were moving from one part of Santa Maria to the other a few years ago. And they actually called up a moving company to help them move. And they told me about it. I'm like, what? What do you do? Cancel it. I grab all our friends. We bring them over with our trucks and we load everything up. And yeah, it's a pain in the butt because nobody likes to move a refrigerator. I mean, look at me. You know, I'm built like a junior high girl. You know, it's like, <laughs> you, you move a fridge and, and, and it wants to crush me, but we move it anyway. You know, because that's what friends do. That's what friends do. See, we are detached and we are moving farther and farther apart from each other. And I think sin is the reason. Because in relationships, they're hard and sometimes sin comes up and somebody hurts you and we don't want to deal with it anymore. When we have less opportunities for connection, we have less opportunities to love one another. I mean, how do we love one another when we don't even know each other? Our neighbors are strangers. I mean, do you know your neighbors? Uh, do you know all your coworkers? Can you go into town for an entire day and not see anybody you know? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> Jason can't apparently either. You know, our, our entire social culture is built around this isolation, which then leads to depression. So we develop a medical culture to give us drugs to help us cope with our sadness. Some of it may be biological, but I think a lot of it is simply from being alone because we were created for relationships. It's one of the reasons I talk to you guys about small groups a lot. We get a sign-up sheet in the back for small groups. You should all be in a small group. It doesn't have to be an element small group. It can be, I don't care where it's from. You just be in a small group with other people building social capital because God created you to be in a relationship with other people. God is a triune God. His relationship in himself. We are made in his image. And we don't have relationships. We get sad. And when we get sad, we get medication and counseling. But what most people simply need is love. They need love. Soren Kierkegaard says this, love is the works of love. Love is emotion and actions. If you're a dad, you don't have a, a child and they pop out and say, Hey, daddy loves you. See you at your high school graduation. And walk. You, you don't do that. Love is involved. The Father, God, was involved with his creation and sent his son to participate in it with us through actions to love us. Now, I've heard people say, sometimes when they come to Element, they go, I love it there. People are really nice and they talk to me. That's good because I kick your butt half the time to make you do it. I have heard other people come in and say, Well, no one talked to me at all. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. Last year, uh, actually about a year and a week ago, is when we officially launched Element. And we had like between 40 and 60 people coming. Now we have about 260 people coming. So I, in the last year, everybody's new. Okay? So that means if you're like, I'm new, I don't know anybody. Well, so is everybody else. Okay? So just say hi to somebody. Get to know somebody. It's It's my soapbox today, okay? This is, I should just stand on a little soapbox and just go the whole time. I, I have some reasons why I think people do not like to connect. And, and I'll give you these. I think God gave them to me, so I'm going to give them to you. The first one is people don't like to connect because we're lazy. We are lazy. Ecclesiastes 4 or 5 says, The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Lazy people. If you are lazy, you will not have friendships because friendships are not just birthed around what you're doing. They're not just birthed around like beliefs. They're birthed around participation. And if you are lazy, you will not participate with other people. Some of you guys, you probably have friends that call you all the time. Hey, let's do something. Let's go. And you're always all, no, no, come on, let's, no, no. And eventually they quit calling you. And then you get mad because they quit calling you. You know what you should do? Grow up and just say yes. My wife and I, sometimes we go out to eat with some people and I don't even like where we're going, but we go. 
because it's connection. I think another reason people don't like to connect is that we are selfish. We think our friends are simply just for us. Oh, my friends are all for me and not us for them. When people who are really lonely, I ask them, I say, I say well, where are your friends? And they go, I don't know. They, they never come over. How do you meet people? Well, I kind of hang out at home and no one comes by. Well, I'll tell you what. Your friends live about a mile away and they're wondering why you don't come by either. You know, you should call each other and then meet at a Starbucks because that's in the middle. That's why they put it there, right? So go meet there and then you guys will talk and everybody else will be like, that is so weird. It's conversation. I don't understand what that is. Um, time. We don't connect because of time. We're all very busy people, right? Oh, we're, we're so busy. You know why we're so busy? Because we're all so important. That's why we're so... <laughs> we don't have time for trivial stuff like people and things like that. We are. We're, our, our world is governed by hurry and fear. I know pastors. Pastors are the weirdest people in the world. You know, and I, I'll tell you, they, they always act like they're so busy. Half the time, they're not. They just want to act busy. And that's what they do. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You need to learn how to work and rest. Two. You know, work and rest. Two hands. God will wove a rhythm into life, into creation. You work hard. You take a day off. Solomon says, if you don't, your life's going to be marked by toil where you work and you work and you work. No fun, no play. You're irritable. You're agitated. You're mean. You're always serious. You look like the stereotypical Christian. You know, you look like Jesus, not like a stereotypical Christian. You work and you rest. One of the purpose God created the Sabbath for resting was so that you enjoy your friends and the stuff that comes through the work of your labors. It's one of the points of it. Uh, I think we don't connect because we don't want people to really see us. So we protect our sin. If no one comes over, nobody has to really get to know you. And so you can hide everything you want to hide. We don't connect because people don't even know what community looks like. I mean, we create reality TV, right? And you've got to lock people on an island to get them to spend time together. And then you vote them off. <laughs> Which is very Darwinian, so it's not very cool, you know. And we don't even know what love looks like. Uh, the mobile nature of our society, I think we don't connect. People move all the time. I've got people who come here, and I've started to get to know them a little bit, and they just told me they're moving in December. And I'm sad about that. They, you know, they're at the base, and so they're being moved. And people don't want to connect because you put down roots. And then all of a sudden, you've got to upward, and you're going somewhere else. But you have to. You have to. Uh, and then friendship, last one, friendship takes courage. I think we have this fairy tale idea that all of our friends are going to come over and eat cookies and play rock band and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But you know what? Friendship's hard because friends can be jerks. Any friendship requires forgiveness and love. Jesus is at his dinner with his friends, and what are they going to do to him? Deny him and reject him and run away. Your friends will sometimes kill you with their actions. Sometimes. But you know what? So will you. You will sometimes kill your friends with your actions. And that means we need to be like Jesus and resurrect and love people. I mean, all things considered, Jesus, he's a pretty decent guy, right? And his friends are going to kill him. Friendship is hard. Community is hard. But we must work for it because we were made for it and we were called to it. You know, we are to love in such a way that as people come into contact with us, they know that we are children of God. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does this love look like? Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, while we were hard of heart, while we were still denying him, while we don't want anything to do with him, Christ died for us. So God, by action, loves us and extends a hand of friendship to you and I. That's how God loves us. So we are to love each other the same way. 
I tell you, sin has made us enemies of each other and God because we tear each other apart all the time because we're people. All secular attempts at friendships and community will fail because they cannot deal with the sin issue. The issue is sin. Sin is the dividing point between us and each other and us and God. That's the dividing point. And so Jesus comes and he takes care of the sinner and redeems and restores us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Our sin has been forgiven in Jesus, and now we have the ministry of reconciliation. So we are to love and reach out to those hard-hearted people, just like us, the people that hurt us, and the people that we, in turn, actually hurt ourselves. All of us, full-time ministries, missionaries, to connect with people so they know the hope that comes in knowing who Jesus Christ is. And sometimes that is offered by a strong hand of telling the truth, and sometimes it's a soft hand of giving grace. But through reconciliation and giving grace, people become reconciled to God, and so we reconcile to them as well. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Practical. Very practical. He forgives us, so he calls us to embrace others. I mean, I will tell you, there are probably some of you guys in this room who have very strained relationships with some of your friends, and you're just mad at them, and you don't want to make it any better. Well, you know what? You're called to. You're called to. You're called to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. Even if they will never apologize, even if they will never change, you are called to love them anyway. Practical outworking of the gospel means that there's a vertical connection between us and Jesus and a horizontal between us and each other as well. Again, small groups. You guys should also all be in a small group. Do I sound like a broken record? Good. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why Scriptures refers to us as, as a family now. We are a family. I mean, it's not that the church is always just a happy place. Sometimes it's not a happy place. You know, sometimes, you know, families sometimes aren't... Go, go to my mom's house during, for Christmas and, and you'll see. You know, it's, it's usually my fault. I'm like, what? But, you know, families, they, they have hard times, but they work through those. And the love of families then spills over into those around us. As a church, it should spill over to the world around us so that everyone we come into contact with, a church, a people who call themselves followers of Christ should look different. We should look different because community is important. Community is not God, but it is worship. Jesus poured out his love in our hearts, and so we pour it out as well. You know, we get told that uh, when people refer to worship, they always refer to it as music. Well, music is worship. But so is you guys standing there and listen to me hammer at you for a half an hour. You know, worship is communion. You know, worship is prayer. Worship is how you love the people around you. Those things are all worship. And this morning, we actually, it's at the end of every message, I bring it down to this so you guys understand the different ways that we worship. And we do. We're going to worship God through communion. You know, one of the reasons we can be reconciled to each other and Jesus and God is through this idea that Jesus died for you and I. Communion helps us to remember that. You take that cracker and you break it, and it's a representation of his body, which was broken for you and I. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, and it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be reconciled to God, so we can be reconciled to each other, and we extend that ministry of reconciliation. So we worship Jesus through communion. We worship through prayer. There'll be some elders and deacons in the back of the room, and if you need prayer, if you feel like you are cut off from friends or people, you have no community, maybe you are isolated and alone, 
pray with them. They would love to pray with you and try and connect you in some way to some other people. So we worship God through prayer. We're going to worship God through song. The band is going to come up. Say, I told you a short message. Sean's like totally freaking out when I do this. He's like, what? You're done already? Hey, Sean. And then he prays and has no idea what I talked about in my message. <laughs> so we worship God through song. And as we do, and as they, as they do these songs... You know, you guys get a chance to, to take communion, to pray, to reflect about the things where God's calling you. You know, where have you pulled yourself and isolated yourself and where do you need to connect better to those around you? So you worship God through song. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side walls and in the very back of the room. And then we worship God through giving simply because God gave so much to you and I. And then lastly, this morning, which I've been hitting, on, we're going to also worship God through fellowship where we don't rush you guys out of here at all, at all. We encourage you, get up, meet some people, talk some, you know, again, part of worship is getting to know other believers and having that love that comes from relationship with Christ and others extend out into the world. You know, your, your worship through fellowship should be much more on display outside these walls and in this room. If this is the only place you worship, then you've missed the point of the gospel. You've missed the point of Jesus. Worship is what you do out there. Jesus should be much more on display out there than in here. And that's not necessarily by the words that you say. It is going to be more by the actions that you live. God loves the world. He loves you and I. He died for you and I, so he gives us the ministry of reconciliation because he has reconciled to us, so we reconcile to everybody else. Community. We, we fight against this isolation, and we connect with each other. So you should all be in a small group again, by the way. <laughs> Sign up sheet in the back if you want to know more about small groups too. Let's pray. Father, this morning... I do ask that we as your people would understand that we are called out of a place of isolation and into a place of connection. God, I know for some of us that's very easy because we're outgoing. But for some of us it's very hard because we're not. And I ask that uh, those people who tend more towards an isolated life, that you would bring people into their lives or spur their hearts to know where they're supposed to be connected to so they can have those connections that you created them for. God, we thank you for all the ways in our lives that, that you enable us to worship you, that you have reconciled us to a place so that we can worship you. God, we, we know that as your kids, sometimes we don't do it right. But God, I, I know for most people in this room, we want to do it right. And so I ask that your spirit would come and you would teach us. Teach us the things that we not only need to learn, but also have your spirit push us in the direction that we need to go. So we live as your kids, so that you are honored by the actions of your children, and that the world becomes a better place, because we are in it, and you have changed us, and you have sent us with your message of reconciliation. Help us to truly be your people. Thank you for loving us. Amen.